Hello, humans, hello, humans, hello, humans of the world. It is me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. And it is also me, live, talking to you from the bunker in Eden Prairie at AM 950. Yes, it's another live show. Last week, I told you I didn't know whether it was going to be taped or live, and it happens to be live. And if you are a regular listener to the show, um, at least live listener, uh, you're going to know what I'm going to do next. And that is, I'm going to say, give me a call. I'd love to talk to my listeners. My number is 952-946-6205. I am happy and willing to talk with you about anything. But here's your prompt. Here's your prompt. Have you ever, in public, shut somebody down for a racist comment? Have you ever done that? Or have you ever seen somebody do that? Because our featured idealist today did that. So we have a great show, of course. Um, uh, you know, uh, my show is about idealism and, and, uh, and sometimes where, unfortunately, idealism is not happening. Uh, but in, today, in terms of today's lineup, Ellie, just like look at your show notes because this would be really helpful for you. I'm going to start out with an idealist who happens to be a Lyft driver. That's what uh, I just talked about. And today I'm also going to talk about what it means to code switch. Have you ever heard that phrase? And how that can affect inclusivity within an organization or your life. I also have a story about how people of color, other than white colored people, are being rejected for mortgages more than twice or triple the rate of white-colored people here in, the, here in Minnesota. I also have a story about librarians in Texas being the subject of a criminal inquiry for promoting pornography. Just don't even get me started about what they're doing with the libraries and the librarians in Texas. And of course, I'm going to share you about my work as an idealist. But let's get started. This week's featured idealist is from the Lehigh Valley, uh, that's just northwest of Philadelphia. His name is James Bodie. He's a Lyft driver, and he was set to pick up a man and woman outside a bar named Fossil's Last Stand um, over the weekend, last weekend. And in fact, um, the would-be woman passenger, so James Bodie, Lyft driver, it's late at night. There's a man and woman who call for him to come. They're standing outside of a bar named Fossil's Last Stand in Lehigh Valley. And it turns out that she is the owner. This woman is the owner of the bar. Now, our driver idealist, James Bodie, had a video camera in his car. Um, You have seen these, no doubt. I mean, they're to record, um, I'm sure, his interactions with passengers as as, as well as the passengers' interactions with him. I'm sure this was both for his and the passengers' protection. I should note that, uh, that uh, James Bodie is a young man, I would guess in his late 20s or early 30s. And if you go and watch uh, the video, which all you need to do is to Google Lyft driver shuts down racism, okay? That's all you got to do, Google, okay? But you're going to see he's got to be in his late 20s, early 30s. He's got a baseball cap on backwards that he's wearing. He's got a beard, Okay. And as I said, he is white color. The video from outside Fossil's last stand shows the woman getting into the back of Bodie's car. And as related by Christine Matson um, in a Lehigh Valley from who writes for a Lehigh Valley news outlet, NBC10, 
Here's what happened next, just as the woman got into uh, Bodhi's car. Hold on a second. Here we go. Uh, well, Ellie, just get the place where you had circled that. She gets in the car, and she says, quote, you're like a white guy. Um, and Bodhi turned and said, what's that? And the woman again says, are you like a white guy? Uh, the woman says, you're, you're like a normal guy. You speak English. Now, there was a pause uh, before uh, the woman then laughs, and then she pats Bodhi's shoulder and apologizes. Bodhi, at that point, then tells her to get out of the car, saying what she said was inappropriate. Um, he goes on to say, if somebody was not white sitting in the seat, would, would that, what would be the difference? And at that point, the man who was going to get in the back of the car, okay, he says, really? You're, you know, you're an effing a-hole, okay? And then Bodhi points the camera inside the car and tells the man it's all going on video. And the man then says, so remember, this guy didn't get in the car, and Bodhi's now getting the woman out of the car. He's telling her to leave. The man outside says, I'm going to punch you in the effing face. Bodhi then calls the couple uh, racist Fs, okay? I mean, there's a lot of swearing in this video, all right? And then the man outside the car calls him N-word lover. Um, Bodhi then rolls down the window and tells the couple he's going to call the police. And he did, he did do that, and apparently... Uh, the local police department has opened up an investigation, although I will tell you as a lawyer, uh, there's probably no, no actionable crime here, even though it's horrible racism, okay? No actionable crime. Uh, that would be my guess, okay? Interestingly, as reported in this story, uh, Yelp and TripAdvisor shut down uh, comments on both bar, on the on the bar's pages for the fossil's last stand. They shut down the comments because the bar was being flooded with negative reviews and one star ratings. Now think about that, okay? You've you've got a man, okay, who you know who says this, okay? A man who tells this couple to get out. All right, he makes an incredible stand, which I'm going to talk about in a second, okay? And then suddenly, you know, and he posted on Facebook. I don't believe he thought it was going to go viral, but it went viral. And then suddenly, all kinds of people who know how wrong this man and woman were, okay, they want to, you know, they go after the woman's bar and start giving it negative reviews. Now that, I mean, that's pretty incredible if you ask me, okay? And so... Um, uh, you know, and then, and and the news outlets have tried to get a hold of Bodhi and to talk to him, but he's not like really wanting to become a media star. So he did post something on Facebook on Monday morning, and he said, um, "Quote, but this is the way it should be everywhere." He wrote, "I shouldn't be the guy who did it or said it. We should all be that person. Speak up if you're uncomfortable." with it because it makes them uncomfortable as they should be. F racism, Bodhi wrote. Now, I'm telling you, I mean, this story, I picked up on it. It came down down the wire this week. I found it on Twitter. This story about James Bodhi, all right, him speaking up, comes on the heels. I mean, the last time you heard my voice, uh, live at least, the last time you heard my voice last Saturday, 
we knew nothing about a mass race-based shooting in Buffalo because it had not happened. It happened on Saturday afternoon. We knew nothing about that. We had no idea that that was going to occur. And it did occur. It was a horror. It continues to be a horror. It continues to be this direction that our company, our country is taking because white-colored people feel that they're threatened by people of other skin colors. You know, and I will tell you, listeners, uh, you know, uh, the... The, the classic definition of character is what, what someone does when no one is watching. That's the classic definition of true character. And James Bodie, he did something incredible. I mean, you know, he, 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 think about it. He, he, he asked the woman, what did you say? Then when it registered, he immediately said, get out of my car which meant no fair, right? So there was some financial loss for him in, in doing that. And then, of course, he knew that he would get, I'm sure he anticipated he would get some negative reaction from this man and woman, and yet he did that. Now, there's a nice piece um, in the um, Philadelphia Inquirer. It's an opinion piece by Janice Armstrong. Uh, it came out on May 18th. And what Janice Armstrong, she recounts, uh, the title of the piece is Heroic Lehigh Valley Lift Driver Shows Us What Anti-Racism Really Looks Like. Okay? Um, and, but what she writes in her opinion piece in the Philadelphia Inquirer is this, quote, What we need right now are more people like Bode, who are willing to confront the cancer of bigotry that's been rotting this nation from the inside out since its inception by our slave-owning, misogynistic founding fathers. We can't count on our institutions to do it for us. For the most part, they've failed us. Congress can't even get its act together to pass the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, which would guard against racial bias at the polls. We, the American people, need to take it upon ourselves to push back against racism. It is not enough for us individuals to simply raise our hand and say we are not racist, unquote. And that is absolutely true. It's, 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 it's left to us because the government's not going to do it for us. There are not going to be any laws. And certainly in, in many states, there are not going to be any state laws that are going to help. We just have to simply start pushing back. And that's what it means to be anti-racist, okay? You don't just simply let it go by and not join in. I think absolutely you have to push back. You have to say that that's wrong. Don't do that. No, get out of my car. Get out of my house. Get out of my company. We have to do that. We absolutely must do that. Now, the last thing I will say before I move on, and we're going to do a break here in a second, the last thing I, need, I want to say is this. Bodhi, remember? Late 20s, early 30s. 
whole different generation. Whole different generation. Now, I know the shooter, the shooter in uh, Buffalo was only, what, 18, 19, 18 years old? I know that, okay? But the vast majority of younger people are unwilling to put up with the old rules, which include racism, which include othering people. The vast majority of younger people are not, they don't want that anymore. They want a place and, a, and they want to work in companies. They want to live in neighborhoods. They want to have existences where their experiences are rich with a variety of people having various lived experiences. So there's some hope there for us. We've just got to hold on until those people, the young people, have power. But on the night that this woman and man were going to get into James Bodie's cab, he's the one who had the power, and he used it. Okay. All right. Well, listen, we're going to go take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about more stuff. I don't know exactly what. I got to get it on my list and figure that out. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio. I would love to hear from you. Prompt is, have you ever in public or witnessed somebody in public push back against racism? I'd love to hear your stories. Give me a call, 952-946-6205. We'll be back in a second. Ellie 2.0 Radio, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug, um, on lovely AM 950. I am thrilled to be talking to you live today, and you know how much I love hearing from my listeners. So give me a call, 952-946-6205. I would love to hear from you, wherever you're listening in America or the world at the moment. So because people are listening, not only here in the Twin Cities, trust me. Okay, I want to talk about code switching. Now, some well, first let me tell you a story, and then let me explain what code switching is. So, so this week, without disclosing names, of course, um, I gave a keynote presentation for a major international corporation, um, and I uh, and they flew in people from both uh, Canada and the U.S., even though this corporation has presence across the world, but people from Canada and the U.S. who are LGBTQ, um, they brought them in for a conference, um, and uh, it was a two-day conference, wonderful event. I, I gave the opening keynote for this event. We had maybe 90, 100 people in the room, um, and uh, as I started my talk, because some of the people in the room uh, were from states here in the U.S. where LGBTQ people don't have any legal rights, okay? By the way, everyone, I hope you understand and you know, if you've been listening to the show, you do, um, that LGBTQ plus people have legal rights only in 24 states in the United States. So we could we could get in the car and drive from the 
North Dakota border with Canada and go all the way, just go straight south all the way to Texas border, the Texas border with Mexico, would not hit a state where state where LGBTQ plus people have any kind of legal protections. Okay, so I noted that in the keynote, and then I asked, I asked who here, who here code switches, you know, and I'll tell you, a lot of hands shot up, a lot of hands. Now, what is code switching? Okay, so I'm going to read to you uh, a definition, which I think is a great definition. Um, from uh, a website uh, put out by a company called Integrative Inquiry Consulting, okay? They've got Integrative integrative Inquiry Consulting. Uh, Okay, Ellie, let's get that right. Um, uh, You just, if you Google that phrase, um, you'll be able to, and and ask about, Google that with uh, the the, um, term code switching, you'll be able to find this. So here's how they define code switching. Quote, originally developed in linguistics, code switching referred to individuals who switched between two or more languages. Today, we use it much more broadly to describe the many ways we adapt our language, behavior, and actions to the dominant culture. Code switching is the act of changing our behaviors, including speech, dress, and mannerisms, to conform to a different cultural norm than what we might authentically do in our own homes. We all do it to some extent. Most of us don't dress the same or use the same expressions or speech patterns with colleagues as we do with our family and close friends. But code switching is not equal for everyone. Some of us are expected to make more changes than others to conform to a standard set by the dominant culture, unquote. Long definition, but you got the idea now, right? It's about how we, when we are in different settings, how we, we talk differently, we maybe dress differently, maybe wear our hair differently, and act differently um, to conform to what might be the culture, the standards, the norms, the rules in the place in which we find ourselves. Um, and it's, this is, I mean, we do this you know, subconsciously, I mean, we don't even think about it. Oh, yeah, I got to go to that. So maybe I, I better wear that. I better wear a dress or, oh, but you can't wear that dress because that dress is not going to be the right dress for that place. You know, I mean, that's, we, we all do it to a certain extent. But for my work around human inclusivity, this is where it's important because dominant culture here in, here in Minnesota, as well as across much of America, Dominant culture is white color, operated by white color people, okay, with white color expectations and standards. And that culture very often is unbending. It's very often very rigid. And that culture causes people, people who are diverse, people of color, LGBTQ plus people, people of various identities, maybe with religions or whatever, they feel the pressure to conform to that culture if they're going to, A, have a job or be able to exist in that culture or whatever. And that shuts out human authenticity um, to a large degree. I mean, you can't be yourself. Ah, I, you know, no, I can't be that way. So in the LGBTQ plus world, of which I am quite familiar, okay, there's this phrase called um, butching up or femming down. 
And so um, to butch up would be for uh, to to butch up um, would be for a gay man who might you know uh, appear through mannerisms or 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 talk is you know be stereotypical as somebody that you might think is a gay man. Okay, and that's that would be him trying to tamp down whatever mannerisms he has, tamp down the way that he speaks in order to be able to pass or to be accepted within the culture. Even if they know that he's, even if they know he's gay, okay, in a lot of places like, we don't want you to be too gay, all right? That, that's like, that, that, no, that, that's a little bit too much for us. So, and, you know, this, this can be corrosive to the human soul. It can be corrosive to somebody's, you know, sense of worth and feeling of wholeness. It can be. And uh, if you Google this, now, see, you know, it's radio, so that's all I can do is tell you, Google it, okay? But if you Google Harvard Business Review code switching, you're going to come across an article that embedded in that article is a short little video. And it's a video of President Obama going through um, a, lo- a receiving line at for one of the sports teams, uh, one of the basketball teams, uh, well, whatever team Kevin Durant is on, I'm sorry, I don't remember what team he was on. Okay, yeah, all right, I don't, I don't follow sports, um, but you see him going through, going along the receiving line. There are all kinds of people there. You know, he shakes the hand of one of the white coaches. You know, it's kind of like a business handshake. And he comes to Kevin Durant. And then he, then he's like, he jumps up, gives him a, gives him a fist bump. And, you know, they do the shoulder pump uh, with each other. And, and, and it's classic. It's just code switching right there immediately. You know, white man, certain expectations. You come across somebody that's part of your culture, whole different expectations. Incredible. The video lasts like three seconds, but you get the idea about what code switching is. Question. Do you, how often are you code switching? Okay. How drastically are you code switching? And are you aware that those people around you who are diverse, are you aware that they're code switching? Think of black men and women and their hair. Now, wearing their, nat- their natural hairstyles, which by- I got to tell you, I absolutely love and adore, okay? Now, by the way, never, ever just go and touch a black person's hair. Don't ever do that, all right? Um, but, but think about how, um, you know, the, the, the pressure they have to have hairstyles that are, quote-unquote, professional, okay, versus natural. Can't wear the dreads. No, 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 you can't do that. No, cornrows, no, no, that's, no, no, you can't do that, no. You know, and so think about the pressure that they feel, okay? Just just on that one thing. Now, that's also, there's a number of different bills uh, uh, called Crown Acts, crown like the top of your head, that have been passed, I think New York State just passed its bill, making it illegal to discriminate against somebody on the basis of their hairstyle, which I love. That's wonderful, okay? So that's one way of trying to say, don't coat, you know, you don't have to code switch around your hairstyle, and you can't be fired for it. But again, there are always these, there's the law, and then there's the rules, you know, or the customs, or, you know, this is the way we do it here. This is our way of doing it. This is the Acme way of doing things. You know, and you hear that? That's exactly what that is. That's just, 
you know, that's just them wanting to tell you that, you know, hey, you're going to follow our rules if you're going to be here. Okay? So uh, think about it, okay? And speak up about it in your organization. You know, say, look, in what way, you know, like, for example, your dress codes, you know, they can be instilling code switching, just the way they are written. You know, my friend Nick Alm, who has been on the show before through from Mosier, you know, talks about gender expansiveness and about he, he professionally comes in, he rewrites dress codes so that they are welcoming and um, accepting of all humans, regardless of who they are, how diverse they are. It's just he does wonderful, wonderful work. But again, that's about trying to tamp back against the human tendency to code switch in order to conform to a particular culture or expectations. So, um, you know, just pay attention to this. And, and uh, I would also add the things that I've been talking about today that James Bodie, our Lyft driver, code switching and some other stuff that's coming up in this show are all on my, in my newsletter, The Ripple. Um, now, now remember, I send out a monthly newsletter, The Ripple, goes out to not more than 9,000 people every month, where I talk about these kinds of things that I talk about on the radio show. If you like what you hear, okay, please, by all means, go to elliekrug.com, elliekrug.com, and just scroll down in the menu bar, and you're going to see that uh, um, you can sign up for the newsletter. You got all of my past issues in the newsletter, and you're going to be able to see um, the, you know, how to sign up for it. And please do that, okay? Because if you like what you hear on the radio show, you're going to like also be able to hear, all right, um, and read that stuff and be able. You don't have to worry about me doing the, hey, go Google things, because I include links to everything that you, uh, you know, want to read. Okay, so listen, we're going to take a we're going to take a break here, and um, uh, when we come back, I'm going to talk more about some other things, like what's going on with mortgages here in, a, in the Twin Cities, and uh, oh my gosh, and what a federal judge did in Kansas City uh, relative to a school district trying to protect transgender kids, and what the school dist- what the j- federal judge uh, did uh, about that. So when we come back from our break. Um, we'll be able to talk about all of that, okay? All right, so hold on just a second. Okay, here we go. We'll be back in a sec. And we're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. Uh, we've been talking about a number of different things, and I've got a caller on the line. Lynette, are you there? I'm here, Ellie. Hey, Hi. Lynette. Good to hear from you always. <laughs> How are you doing? Well, I'm doing I'm doing good. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about your question. No, I haven't... Um, uh, I can't think of the original thing that you had asked if so the question, publicly yep. have 
you know, if I confronted someone who's um, not publicly, not that I can think of, um, I've experienced it, but was too overwhelmed to know what to do, and that was because there was police involved. And um, so that's one thing I was thinking of. And the other, when you're talking about code switching, the first thing I think of is I grew up in an abusive family, and I have a little phrase that I like to use called the language of abuse. And abusers like for you to act a certain way because they're not flexible with anything different than, you know, the small box of tools that they use for acting out themselves. And so you get a look or something, you know, like you you get a look, like a, uh, uh. And it's it's just basically denying anybody their right to be themselves, their true, honest selves. And that's what it makes me think of. Um, because of the in, abusers are very insecure themselves, and that's why they have to have this code because they're like, look, we can only handle this type of way of being because we're not real open. So that's a huge part of it. Well, and I'm, so, I'm sorry, Lynette, that you have abuse in your background and that you had that trauma in your life experience. But you're right. I mean, that that would be certainly – that's very uh, rigid and enforced uh, – code uh and um and if you and and uh people who are survivors of domestic violence i i'm absolutely Mm -hmm. certain understand what you're talking about and yes and it's i'm not taking away anything what you're saying about what you're saying it's just yeah there's just a way that people want and when you were talking about like black people's hair i often think of that like when i watch old ed sullivan episodes and i feel i mean if you look at when they have black artists, like they have to look like white people, and their right. hair has to look like white people, and it's just <laughs> to think, me, I look at it now, going, "Oh, that's so insane." Think of Sammy Davis Jr., right? Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. uh, yep, it's yeah. it, yeah. Well, but but still, that is going on in in other ways and and in other kinds of contexts. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I mean, you know, there are a lot of places where you know you the a black uh, a man wearing dreads would get some really talk about looks okay mm-hmm. from supervisor you know from management right and and you know um on the other hand it, when you think about somebody who doesn't code switch so fetterman out in pennsylvania mm-hmm. the guy looks you know got a beard he walks around he does campaign rallies with sweatshirts and shorts on talks about marijuana use you know, he's got a 70% approval rating in Pennsylvania. They love him. They just love him. And so let's hope he stays alive, okay, and that he recovers from his stroke. But that's somebody who refuses to code switch, who, who just decides I'm going to be authentic wherever I go, and this is just me, whether you like it or not. So mm-hmm. that's an example of, you know, anti-code switching, which I think is quite wonderful. Mm-hmm. Me too. So, well, thanks for calling, Lynette. It's really great oh. to hear from you. All right, Ellie. Have a great day. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, listeners. Listen, we're going to take uh, one more break, and when we come back from our break, uh, I've got some other stuff for you that I'm going to do pretty quickly. Thanks. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. And 
we're back. Ellie 2.0 Radio. Uh, I love it when, Lynette, you call, and I love it when other listeners call. It's just so rewarding. That's, I think, the only word that I can use. All right, in a little bit of uh, shotgun fashion, I'm going to give you some other things here, okay? First, let's begin with a uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune story, Strib, to those who live locally, uh, dated May 20th, um, which is uh, written by uh, Jim Bukta, uh, who is uh, the, I think the, he's the Strib's uh, uh, business uh, reporter. It's, the piece is titled, Racial minorities remain much more likely to be denied mortgage in Twin Cities, study shows. And the piece goes on to detail how the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis um, did yet another study. But this one is different than other studies as it relates to the disparity in home ownership here in the Twin Cities and I think probably in the greater Minnesota as well. Um, this study that the Many of those other studies did it based on like income uh, and, and how mortgages maybe were rejected on the basis of income levels and according to skin color and things of that nature. This study went way deep into the woods, in, into the woods. It went, it went, it, it, it considered credit scores and other factors. So this is like a real apples to apples kind of study. And this is what they found. The Federal Reserve Bank found that mortgage denial rates for Asian applicants um, was 3.5%. So 3.5% of Asian applicants denied um, mortgages, okay? 4.2% um, of Latino applicants denied mortgages. And 5.5% of black applicants were denied mortgages. White applicants, on the other hand, were denied mortgages 1.7% of the time. In other words, the denial rate for blacks in the Twin Cities trying to buy a home, trying to get a mortgage, okay? The denial rate for blacks, three times it is for what it is for whites. Think about that, okay? Um, you know, and, and uh, according to this piece, uh, the, the, what the Fed did is their analysis was based on Federal Home Mortgage Disclosure Act mortgage data from 2018 to 2020 for nearly 100,000 borrowers in the seven-county Twin Cities metro area. It focused on those who applied for a 30-year conventional mortgage, which tend to be the lowest-risk mortgages. And you know that the, the, it's the, the disparity of home ownership here in Minnesota is unbelievable, okay? So the U.S. home ownership rate in 2020 increased to 65 Five percent. That and that rate was a 1.3 percent increase from the pre prior year. And I'm going to tell you right now that rate is probably higher than 65.5 percent with all the how people are trying to buy homes. Okay, that is the overall rate. Okay, but the rate for home ownership for blacks here in America was just 43.4 percent. Now that's for the country. I will tell you. In, uh, the, the disparity in the Twin Cities and in Minnesota is even greater than that, okay? Um, and so think about that. Now, you know, uh, structural barriers continue to exist post-George Floyd, even though we're aware of them and all of that. Okay, I need to move on. Second story I have for you is a story 
um, that was in the ABA Law Journal, remember I happen to be a lawyer on top of everything else, dated May 17th by Deborah Cassins Weiss. And it details how a federal judge in Kansas City has blocked a school district from disciplining a teacher who um, said that she was going to violate the school's policy against outing transgender students to their parents. So in other words, the school district knows that trans kids, they come to school, they want to be in school, they want to be authentic to who they are, okay? And so they're going to, trans kids will give you a different name than what their birth name was, at least first name, and they're going to give you different pronouns, and they may dress differently in school, okay? And this school district's like, we're going to protect our kids, we're not going to let them be marginalized. We're not going to let that happen. And But there was a school teacher who said, I ain't going to follow that policy. School teacher said, you know, I'm not going to go out of my way to out the kid. But if I'm communicating with the parents about, you know, about grades or whatever, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to let the parent know that this is what's going on with the kid. Okay. You know, that the kid's identifying differently in school. Teacher said, I'm going to do that. The school district said, no, you're not. We're going to discipline you. The teacher went and filed a lawsuit. Um, the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is all over the place, uh, filing lawsuits that are marginalizing to transgender people. Uh, they convinced a federal judge to order the school district that it can't, it can't fire or terminate or in other ways discipline this teacher. Teacher's citing her religious freedom. Because to be able to, to identify, to recognize a student other than what they were assigned at birth um, would be um, contrary to God's plan for that child. Okay? Again, religion is a great thing. Everybody should have spiritual affiliation. You go for it, okay? But when it starts to marginalize other humans, then it gets kind of tricky. Okay. Um, I'm going to hold back on, well, I've got another story uh, out of ABC 17. Um, out of Texas, a a piece written by Alexis Wainwright, who writes about Hood County uh, constables. So this is like sheriff's cops in Granbury, Texas, okay? They stopped by the Granbury High School on May 6th to follow up on a complaint about eight books under review for sexual content with the claim that the school librarians were promoting pornography in the school districts. Think about that. You've got parents now calling the cops saying, you know, that book, which references some kind of sexual content, is pornography. The librarians, the librarians are promoting pornography. You should arrest the librarians. Can you imagine that? And remember, what starts in Texas goes other places. If I got any librarians listening, I'll tell you, I, I you know, I've got your back, okay? I happen to love librarians. They are the keepers of the truth. They are the last defense that we have in America for the truth. Those books in those buildings are the truth. And we've got people wanting to discard the truth, okay, for one rigid way of thinking or seeing the world. Okay, I am uh, just about out of time, so let me just talk about my work as an idealist. You know, uh, one of the things that I do on top of everything else is I go into schools and I talk to gay and lesbian and bisexual and transgender and non-binary students. I do. I did it yesterday. I went to a middle school 
in greater Minnesota. We won't say where it is, okay? Spoke to 7th and 8th graders, probably at about, I'd guess, 20, 25 kids in a big circle along with a, a teacher. And we talked about what's going on in America. These kids are smart. I mean, they, they are well aware of what's happening relative to LGBTQ people being marginalized across this country. Um, we also talked about the fact that Minnesota protects them. And I, you know, I said, I know some of you, you're only, you know, in seventh or eighth grade, but someday you're thinking about going to college. You know, as you make your college plans, be aware of, you know, your favorite college may be in a state where you don't have any legal rights. And I said, think about all the difficulties you may have as a result of that going to that state. Now, now see, these states, they don't understand that. I mean, I, the, where all of this marginalization is occurring, they don't understand that what it's doing is causing humans to make economic decisions not to go and be in their states. You know? And, and yeah, and I know we hear the statistics, you know, Texas is growing, you know, 4 million people have moved there in the last, what, number of years. And, and if Texas is so bad, why are people moving there? You know what? A lot of those people moving there are liberal people. And that's what's turning Texas from red, 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 red to somewhere between red and purple. That's what's happening. So I'm just saying, okay? But me talking with these kids, it's the most humbling experience in the world because you see these kids trying to figure things out. Some of them got it figured out about their gender or sexuality relative to their identity. I, and I told them yesterday, I told them I was quite jealous of them because they're figuring out so much earlier um, than I did. I didn't get anything figured out till I was 52, you know? Um, and so it, it gave me hope. It really, I mean, wonderful, these just wonderful experience. And it's an honor for me to be able to talk to these kids. I know that not many people get to do that. And it's just a pure honor and a pure joy. And that's, you know, that's where my idealism, my idealism has taken me, thankfully, really. Okay, well, listen, um, we are just out, almost out of time here. So, um, again, if you like this show, go to my website at elliekrug.com. Go get the newsletter. Sign up for The Ripple because you know what? You just get more of me when you get The Ripple, and, and you can share the links and all that stuff. Big thanks to my producer, Dan, who's done always does a great job. Listeners, between now and when you hear my voice next, um, next week's going to be a tape show. It's going to be a repeat because it's Memorial Day. You'll hear me in June. Next, between now and when you hear my voice next, do me a favor. Go out. Do something to make the world better. Will you do that for me? And, ex and exercise compassion for others and for yourself. Talk to you in June. Pride Month. Bye-bye.